I want to tackle this idea of grace. But I want to tackle it in maybe a little bit of a different way than, uh, than is typically talked about. Not because it's not biblical, but because when you hear the word grace, it's really primarily associated with salvation, which obviously that's like a huge pillar. We're saved by grace. But grace is so much more than just about salvation. And so I want to kind of look at that. In the Old Testament, uh, grace comes from the word meaning loving kindness, referring to God's character. Because remember when Moses went up to the mountain and, got, and he said, show me, your, show me your face, show me who you are, show me your glory. And he hid Moses in the cleft of the rock and God passed by and he began to declare who he is. And part of that was this idea of grace or goodness, loving kindness. This is who I am in my nature and my character. Fast forward to the New Testament, the, the, the word grace is translated uh, from the term meaning divine favor or goodwill. And so it's not that God changed. He's still, it flows from his being. But the difference is because we have Jesus, he came and he is the dispenser of grace. He is grace. And so we see that in John chapter one, verse 16. From, for from his fullness, Jesus, we have all received grace upon grace. The inexhaustible supply of God's goodness whereby he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves, the grace of God. I believe there's a, a grace available for every person to walk in. And yes, we're saved by grace, but we're also propelled by grace. Um, grace is like a wind in your sails. And when you're operating outside of the grace of God, it feels like you're paddling upstream. I've told this story before, but it's a great analogy for where we are right now. And at least there's at least one person here that hasn't heard this story. So uh, I grew up here, grew up in San Diego, love San Diego. Um, but then I went to the Northwest into Bible college and youth pastoring. And I was taking a, a group of students on a missions trip. And on the way back, um, we stopped in San Diego for a couple of days. This was probably, I don't know, 15 years ago. And because I grew up here and all these like people from Washington, they had never been here. And so I wanted to show them a good time. We were staying in a hotel in La Jolla and I said, hey, I'll, I'll take you out on the water, right? I'll take you kayaking. And they had never been kayaking. Well, so we went to the little shops. Well, all the shops that rent kayaks, they all give you or recommend a guide and that you wear helmets and you do, you know, you go exactly where... They say to go. It was a beautiful day. I don't know if you've ever been to La Jolla Cove or the La Jolla area. It's beautiful. It's calm. Uh, you know, on a day like that, it's just peaceful. There wasn't a big waves because it was summer. And I'm like, you know what? I got this. We don't need a guide. I grew up here. And so let me take you. Let me be your guide. So we all got kayaks. There was like uh, four kayaks, double kayaks. So we go out on the water, go out La Jolla Shores, so if you, you know La Jolla, you know where we are. La Jolla Shores, and then if you go left out on the water, then you can kind of start heading over towards La Jolla Cove, the cliffs, and it's just magical. It's beautiful. There's lots of life out there, uh, seals. And if you're there at a good time, there's actually leopard sharks that don't bite, but they're pretty big, so it's kind of epic. I, I highly recommend it. Just get a guide. So, so, so we're in the kayak, and it's like there's not a, not a cloud in the sky. There's no waves. It's just peaceful. It feels like we're out on the bay. So I'm going, we're having a great time and we're going the, all the way over and we see the cliffs and whatever. And so we're headed back. 
Well, again, I had never been with the guide, so I really didn't know what to do, but I was pretending like I knew what to do because how hard can it be? Yeah, I had life vests on. We know how to swim. I mean, gracious, right? I'm a surfer. Like, so we're headed back and apparently we go to a spot that you're not supposed to go because it's a place where rogue waves frequently come in out of nowhere. So we're coming in and we're still out a ways from the shore, but we're kind of in the cove area. And I look out and there's like a swell the size of that wall coming. And I look and I'm like, paddle! I mean, freaking out. I'm the guide. And we have a bunch of students with us, right? They can swim, but like they've never. So anyway, we start like digging hard and I'm screaming at my counterpart, paddle, right? Like trying to get above the wave. So three kayaks make it barely crest the wave. And the fourth kayak, the wave just pounds their kayak. They both fly out. The kayak goes all the way into the shore and the lifeguard on the jet ski has to come and rescue them. And he's like, who's the guide? I'm like, the guide left. I don't know. He was here a minute ago. Just left us high and dry. You should talk to those guides, man. They're not, know what they're doing. There's a grace that he's designed you to flow in. But when we're not in it, it feels like we're paddling against the current or against the waves. And sometimes we get pounded. By one. Revelation and Ezekiel both describe a river flowing from the throne room of heaven that brings life everywhere it goes. A river planted by the rivers of water. Two things that you have to understand about grace. Number one is it's free. If by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, if it were, grace would no longer be grace. This is such fantastic news today because this grace, this unmerited favor that propels your life is not based on your good deeds. It's not based on your righteousness. Your righteousness is like filthy rags. It's based on Jesus, whom we are clothed with his righteousness. And so therefore we get to flow in the river of his grace. It's amazing. Now, there's a caveat to that because some people, some preachers would stop there and just talk about this awesome free gift of grace and we all just get to participate in it. But there's another caveat and it has to do with the nature of a river. And that's this. Just like a river, it doesn't follow us. We follow it. When was the last time you convinced a river to follow you? Now, sorry, river's flowing and you're invited to jump in. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have the goodness of God. God is good and he's always pursuing us. His goodness is pursuing us. Even when we're idiots, right? When you were way far away from God, definitely not following the river of his grace, right? You were like on the other continent. The goodness of God was following you and pursuing you for the purpose of getting you back in the river, right? The lost prodigal come home. Why? Because that's where the grace is. There's a grace 
in your life. So I want to look at um, John 10. And I don't know if you've ever looked at this passage as it relates to grace, but it's really profound because it introduces us to the shepherd. Before we read this passage, I want you to just think about this. There's a voice of grace. There's a direction of grace and there's a person of grace. And they're all found in this passage. The one who entered through the gate is the shepherd. Jesus refers to him as the good shepherd. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep, hear this, recognize his voice, the voice or the sound of grace. And they come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. After he has entered his own flock, after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him. They don't convince him to follow them. Like, come on, shepherd, we're going this way. No, that's impossible. He's already gone before us. See, a shepherd, a good shepherd, he would carry big rocks in his bag. And the purpose for that is because when he goes before them, he actually scouts it out and goes where they're supposed to be, the, the, the pasture. And then on his way back, he puts rocks along the way so that he knows how to get back. He's already been there. He's gone before us. And this is the pathway or direction of grace. And they follow him because they know his voice. And so I want to talk about three simple ideas as it relates to walking in the grace of God. First is this, there's grace for who you are. There's grace for who you are. And this is the, the voice or the frequency of grace. I love this passage out of 2 Timothy 2.1. This is Paul talking to a 16-year-old boy, Timothy. All the potential in the world to change the world. And Paul says to this young man, be strong in the grace that God's given. He's given it to you. There's a grace on your life. There's no grace for you to try to be like somebody else. There's no grace there. It will be like paddling upstream. There's a grace on your life. You have divine favor to be you. The challenge is that most of us try really hard to be someone else and we look at, see how, See their grace? It's amazing. See that river they're flowing in? Come on, give me some of that. And so maybe if I'm just a little bit more like them and position myself like they do, then I can get in on some of that. And just like that, we tune into the wrong frequency. What frequency are you tuning into to shape who you are? I love what David said. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made and that my soul knows very well. What David was saying here is I've realized that there's a grace on me and who I am and who God's created me and, and my soul knows it really well. Like it's deep within my heart. I understand it and it's brought life to me. Like I've discovered who I am. You know how incredibly unique we are? Oh my gosh. Like, look at your hand. Look at your palm. I love doing this. 
students. Like, look at, look at your hand. You realize that your fingerprint, your handprint, there's no one else on the planet like you. No one. Have you, have you thought about that? Like, you are incredibly unique, and there is a grace on your fingerprint, your handprint. What, what I'm not talking about is a me-centered, live my best life, I'm awesome gospel. Which, unfortunately, even the church can lean that way because that's where society's going, right? That's the root of all sin is self. And so we just position ourselves to say, I'm awesome. It's about me, right? I'm the one that's unique. And so I'm gonna go live my best life. But that's, there's no grace in that because grace flows from the shepherd, his voice, his identity, his way. And so in fact, when we step into this kind of grace in terms of who we are, it actually doesn't make us more selfish, more me-centered. It does the opposite. I wrote this, grace makes us less defensive less insecure, more humble, more vulnerable, and it fills the room with a fragrance of grace. Have you ever met somebody like that? That's just like confident in who they are, but it's not because they've like somehow done a bunch of self-help stuff, but they've tapped into the right frequency. Jesus, he's, he's told me who I am and that my soul knows very well. What frequency are you tapping into that's shaping who you are? Your grace. And then when you look in the mirror, it's what you tell yourself. It's time for a new narrative. There is a divine favor and grace for you. We could stop right here, but we're not going to, but it really is a, posh, a place of, this is an invitation for you to think about yourself differently. Secondly, is there's grace for where you're going. This is the direction of grace. Second Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to, to make all a grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance, an abundance for every good work. God has a pace for your life, a cadence, a rhythm. And when you're outside of that grace, it just feels hard. Life just feels like an uphill battle. This is arguably the most relevant for all of us because it's easy to fall into a place where you're just not flowing in the river in your life, your relationships, your marriage, your finances, your work, all your, even your, your, your uh, recreation, these areas, it just feels like, you ever told yourself, it just shouldn't be this hard. It just shouldn't, shouldn't feel this hard. My soul shouldn't be so heavy. Grace is like a river you were designed to flow in. but it doesn't follow you. It's not man-made, man-powered or directed. It flows from the throne room of heaven. Here's what I want to tell you. There's a grace like a river 
that's designed for your life. But it doesn't follow you around. The choices you make, the things that you do, the ideas you have, and then say, God, come on, river, come on. It's an invitation. Remember when Jesus said, I only do the things I see my father doing. Jesus, the son of God, he's got a perfect relationship with his father. He's never sinned. The Holy Spirit's with him, filled him. He's healing people, forgiving people. And yet Jesus, the son of God, is saying, I'm not in control. Because in that moment, the good shepherd actually had a shepherd and it was his father. My father's gone before me and I'm watching what he's doing and I'm following that. You ever made a huge mistake and like bought something or went in a direction only to realize, only to realize that was a huge mistake. I should have prayed about that one. I should have sought some wise counsel about that one. Maybe it was a relationship. Like there's so many, so many areas of our life where we can look back and go, yeah, that was a crossroads where um, definitely could have spent more time in prayer. That's because there's a river for your life, a flow. Your life is not meant to be an uphill battle. You ever meet anybody that's just like, it's almost like they're addicted to chaos. It's like, like your life, it's just seems too hard all the time. I mean, there's seasons, don't get me wrong, right? We all go through storms, but it just seems like you're addicted to chaos. There's another way. We almost didn't plant Heart Church. And the reason for that is because um, we almost moved to Costa Mesa. Um, when we were talking to our district supervisor in Foursquare about planting the church, he said, well, hey, I got an idea that you should pray about. Why don't you take an existing church? It's a lot easier than planting. There's a building. I have a building for you. I have a small congregation of 50 people and it's a mile from the beach. Okay, I'm listening. And he goes, I want you to go check it out. It's in Costa Mesa. It's a mile from the, a mile from like, it's ridiculous. Amazing building, 50, small congregation, 50 people. They need a pastor and it's available. They want you. Let's go. And um, so, and he's like, oh, and I'm going to book you a trip up there. I'm going to put you in like a really nice hotel, all expenses paid. Just spend some time in the area and see what you think. So at this point, I mean, the name Heart Church wasn't even a thing. Like we, we're, we, were, we, we were a long way from planting, but that was kind of what was in our heart. And so we're like, okay, Lord, this is an open door. So here's what we prayed. God, if this is you, let it feel like a wind in our sails. Why? Because there's a grace that we are invited to walk in. We totally could have moved to, to Costa Mesa for the glory of God, a mile from the beach. I mean, somebody's got to suffer. Let's go. 
And, and we could have justified all of the reasons why this is the Lord. And this is, we're going to serve people and help people. And people in Costa Mesa need Jesus too. Hello. So we went on this trip. And we told, Heather and I just said, if this is the Lord, there's going to be a grace about it. It's going to feel like wind in our sails. We argued the entire trip. I mean, Heather and I, it was like, we were just over nothing. Like just, and then this some more. Our kids were with us. We were supposed to like have a day where we were gonna go out to this like amusement park thing. We canceled the whole thing. We came home early because it was so miserable. And on the way home, you know what, I, you know what we said to each other? It didn't feel like wind in our sails. John 10, he walks ahead of them and they follow him. So in what area of your life are you lacking grace? I'm not talking about struggle. Listen, struggle grows you. Don't run, don't be mad at struggle. Don't be mad at grind. I'm not saying easy. There's no easy button here. That's not, that's not the gospel that we're preaching. Life is hard. It's a struggle. It takes hard work, right? We don't just say, okay, Jesus, take the wheel, right? No, like this is, we're leaning in, right? But there's a grace even in that. Can I tell you that David said, I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to have, I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to be all worked up on the inside. My soul is going to be at peace. Why? Because you're with me. The shepherd's with me. He's already gone before me and I'm walking with him flowing in the river, which means I'm not doing my own thing. God, I want to be in cadence with you. And sometimes cadence with you means a struggle, but I'm at peace on the inside. And that's really what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about there's wind in your sails, it's just, there's a peace on the inside. It's like, God, I'm with you. You're flowing with me. Uh, you're taking me somewhere. I, I know you've already been there. And so you're taking me somewhere even through this. And so what I'm saying is don't settle for anything less than that. In what area of your life where it's just like, ah, this, this feels like I'm paddling uphill. And I need to get back into the grace. And so we asked the Lord, okay, God, instead of God, come join me. God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, I wrote this, um, grace always follows obedience. Okay, can I just pastor you for a second? Grace always follows obedience. So let's start in your relationships. Well, the Bible says that he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So if you're having strife in your relationships, try humility. It's amazing. You know what humility says? You don't need to say you're sorry for me to forgive you. There was a, a situation I, I was having with somebody and I was just really frustrated with this situation really frustrated with this person. And um, the Lord clearly said, are you just going to do, keep doing this or are you going to get over it? 
And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, is that a rhetorical question? Or I kind of like to just keep being frustrated. It feels good. And he goes, try humility. And uh, it changed my whole perspective. And my response to them, by the way, this person's not in this room, so I mean, stop wondering, like, is he talking about me? You know, it's, it's, it's crazy how you can pivot your heart posture towards somebody and they don't have to do anything. You can just say, you know what? I'm going to start acting differently. I'm going to start responding differently. And you know what follows? Grace. Grace. Why? Because grace is attracted to humility. What about our finances? Oh, my finances just feel like a struggle. I never have enough. And even when I feel like I have enough, it just ends up not being enough. Grace follows obedience. What has God said about our finances? Put him first. You want the grace of God in your finances? Put God first in your finances. Start tithing. She's like, oh, he's talking about money. He's going to pass the plate. We don't, we don't do that here. I have no idea what anyone gives. Like, that's not what we're doing. Our church is doing great. You guys are super generous. This isn't a pitch. We're not, there's no building campaign at this point. I'm trying to pastor you. If there's clunkiness in your, in your life, ask, ask yourself, Am I being obedient? I, I, don't need to God, I don't need God to speak to me about putting him first in, his finance, in my finances. He already did. He doesn't have to say it again. It's just an invitation. And when, when we put God first in our finances, God, I'm going to give you the first. I get money. I get money. Listen, don't get hung up on the percentage. I get money. The first thing that Heather and I do is we say this this is what we've committed to the Lord, so it's yours. Why? Because I want grace on my finances. I'm a pastor. I don't make enough to not have grace on my finances. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, I want you to be in control. 90% is so much more with grace than 100% me doing it on my own. It's so much more. Gosh, this is good preaching. Lastly, grace for where you are now. Grace is a, it's a frequency, it's a voice. Grace is a direction, it's a river that flows, but it's also a person, the person of Jesus. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. I love that passage. I'm going to invite Adam to come. We're going to land the plane here. See, the river of grace always moves us forward. And it's not fair. Have you ever, anybody ever heard favor ain't fair? It's not fair. It's grace is divine favor on your life. And as we said, it doesn't follow you. We follow it. But when we jump into it, 
When we say, okay, good shepherd, you are my shepherd. You know my name. I know you fashioned me and formed me. I'm following you and now I'm relying on you. When that happens, I'm telling you, there's a grace that's available that brings you things that you didn't earn and don't deserve. I'm gonna say that again. You didn't earn it and you don't deserve it. So quit feeling bad. Well, I'm just going to play the martyr and serve Jesus. It's just, you know, quit it. Jesus is good. And he has paid the price for you to walk in his goodness. It doesn't mean there isn't consequences for sin. But today, there's grace for today to move you forward. Not only is there grace to forgive, because we're saved by grace. It's grace. Not only a grace to forgive, there's grace to redeem. And what that means is, okay, maybe I'm here in my mess today, but Jesus is the good shepherd. He's already known and made allowance for my mess. And he's already made a path for me to walk out of it and redeem it. And so grace isn't just a river that I get to jump in. It's a person that I get to sit at the table with. And no, can I introduce you to my savior? Can I introduce you to my shepherd that leads me out? Hebrews chapter 4, 16 says this. Let us then with confidence, come on church, with confidence, draw near to the throne. He called, it's the name of his throne. That's how passionate he is. It's the throne of grace. Why? Because grace sits on it. His name is Jesus. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And so every day, because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, he gives you and me the opportunity and the invitation to draw near with confidence to this throne of grace. And what are we expecting to receive? Well, we're going to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Anybody need grace today? I do. I want to speak to somebody in here that um, you kind of messed it up. Maybe you're trying to figure it out and get your life back in order, but you're having a hard time believing for what we're talking about. Divine favor. Maybe that just kind of goes right over your head, like divine favor. That's awesome. That was for like another day and another time. And back before the crossroad, when I went the opposite direction that I should have and messed it up. And so here I am and I'm just working hard. And yes, God is good. And yes, he saved me. But like divine favor in my life, like, I don't know. Today's Super Bowl Sunday. And I don't care about Super Bowl Sunday except for the fact that it's the day we moved into town nine years ago. I know that because the Seahawks blew it and threw the pass instead of handing it to Beast Mode. Why would you not? His name's Beast Mode. Hand it to him. He'll take it in the end zone. They didn't. And they lost. Seahawks lost Super Bowl. Well, that's the day we moved into town. And we stayed here ever since. San Diego's always been my dream to come back to. 
San Diego's amazing. Listen, God bless you if you want to leave. I love it here. This is my, this is my promised land. I spent 12 years in Olympia, Washington. And uh, coming back here, felt like wind in my sails. But can I tell you, I didn't deserve it. We were living in Northern California. Uh, I was not a healthy person. In ministry, had to get out of ministry to get healthy. Making mistakes, not putting my family first. And I'll be the first to admit, I was the last person that deserved unmerited favor on my life. We had a moving truck booked to move up north to Washington because I had a buddy that said, hey, you can come live with us for a little bit and kind of reorient your life and figure out what you're going to do. I hate Washington. I mean, that's strong. I prefer not to live in Washington. Rain's too much, gloomy, cloudy, dark all the time. And, and some of you are like, yeah, that sounds like my cup of tea. Bless you. I like San Diego. We had a moving truck booked. I didn't even ask the Lord about it. Listen, like when you screwed up and you're just kind of at your low, you're like you're just trying to put one foot in front of the other and you're not asking God for favor. You're not asking him for like the wind in your sails. I'm like, God, I just hope you still accept me. We had moving truck booked. We were leaving in one week. We had boxes everywhere. My pastor up north called me and he just said, we had a council meeting and for four hours praying for you and Heather. Mighty warriors taking four hours out of their time to pray for us and pray for direction. And they said, God met us in that meeting. And the only thing that came from it was, you're not supposed to come to Washington. God has another plan for you. It's good. And it was a scripture about God taking you to a broad place. And they said, from that meeting, the only place that we could think of that kept coming up was there's this little church in San Diego, in San Marcos. We think you should go there. We, we hadn't even mentioned San Diego. It wasn't even on the radar. We think you should go there. It's a broad place for you. And so in the lowest moment, when I was the least likely person to believe God for good things. He interrupted my entire plan and he said, listen, I have grace for you today. Because I'm not only going to forgive, but I'm going to redeem. Somebody needs to hear that today. Your shepherd, he's really good at redeeming things and making it way better than you could possibly imagine. Will you bow your heads? Jesus, we uh, are sitting at the table right now with our shepherd, staring into the eyes of grace. God, we want to say thank you. Thank you for paying the price for our mess-ups and our screw-ups, God, for our waywardness. Jesus, forgive us for not putting our full trust in the one 
who has nailed scarred hands. You've earned the right to be our shepherd. You know our name and you're calling us out. And so today, Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for this opportunity that we have to step into a life that's so beyond what we could do. It's a life of meaning and significance, a a life that's free of insecurity and anxiety and works, striving. And so Jesus, we say yes to that. Would you come? Would you come and fill up our soul today? Wind in our sails. And we choose today, God, to walk in obedience to you, to follow the good shepherd in the way that you lead us to green pastures alongside peaceful streams rooted there at the riverbank. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.